right, good morning, beloved. Good to see everyone here today. Welcome. Um, at this time, we turn our attention to the preaching of God's Word, so I want to invite you to open your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Colossians, chapter 3. We will be in Colossians, chapter 3, and this morning our focus will be on verses 1 through 4. Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, this is the reading of God's living and infallible word. The Apostle Paul writes, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. The title of today's sermon comes from the command in verse 2, where it says, set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. He says in verse 1, we are to keep seeking the things above, where Christ is. And as we go through this chapter in the coming weeks, we will learn a whole lot about what that means in a very specific way. But for this morning, as kind of an introduction to this chapter, I want you to consider this truth in light of the purpose of the church. Now, most of us would say we all get the Great Commission. Um, we're to um, reach the world with the gospel. And um, Jesus said in Matthew 28, 18, all authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. That's the Great Commission. We are here to make disciples. That's the main purpose of the church, to preach the gospel, to disciple the nations, teaching them to obey all the Lord has commanded. So we have been left in the world as the church for the purpose of evangelism in part, a big part. Um, and we're here for that sole purpose to, to bring the gospel to those whom the Father has called so that they can hear it and believe and be saved and the Lord can gather his people in. We are his instrument that God uses and he does this through his church. Now, I think most of us understand that. Um, and I think most of us also understand the um, gospel message that when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a virgin, born under the law. He lived a sinless life. He died a substitutionary death. He rose from the dead, ascended to heaven at the right hand of God the Father on high and we all understand that we understand the lord's incarnation we understand the purpose of it, it was to bring salvation matthew 121 says she will bear a son you shall call his name jesus for he will save his people from their sins he came mark 10 45 to give his life as a ransom for many so we get the gospel message but what the church doesn't seem to get is the method the church seems to think 
the more we look like the world, the more we sound like the world, the more the world will be willing to give Jesus a try. But that's the exact opposite approach that Jesus took and what Paul's talking about in our verses today. Paul says we need to keep seeking the things above where Christ is. He says to set your mind there, not on earthly things. And so this can apply to the purpose of the church. Rather than seeking what is above, believers today and even um, church leaders seem to be preoccupied with seeking the things that are below. Somewhere along the way, the church came to believe that in order to reach the world, we have to become more like the world to build a bridge to the gospel. But listen to what Jesus said to the disciples in John 15, 18 through 19. He says, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. See, when Christ chose you out of the world, the world no longer loved you as its own. Why, you ask? Because you no longer live as the world lives. You no longer think the way the world thinks. You now set your mind on the things above, not on the things on the earth. You now seek after the things above, where Christ is. Meanwhile, those who are still of the world belong to an entirely different realm spiritually and the world here refers to the the world system the world system is a a global opposition by satan against the kingdom of god and it's carried out through the the world of entertainment and the world of politics and the world of education and the uh, world of pharmaceuticals and um it's all empowered by uh, satan and is comprised of unbelievers and let me be very clear this world system is totally and completely antichrist it's not neutral uh, maybe back in the 30s or 40s you might have been able to find a time or a town or a region and said it was neutral to christ but not anymore it is antichrist anti-god anti-family anti-church anti-righteousness anti-holiness anti-justice in fact first john 5 5 19 says the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one and so that's the world that we live in we live in this world but like the disciples and like the lord jesus christ we are not of this world he has called us out of the world and it's important for us to realize that the world is never going to applaud the church the church needs to stop trying to accommodate the world by becoming more like the world. That's not going to draw anyone to Christ. We are called to be a holy people, a holy nation set apart unto Christ. You are not of this world, you're just a sojourner, an exile, a stranger in this world. Our citizenship, scripture says, is in heaven. And from it, we eagerly await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet, isn't it interesting that Jesus doesn't tell us to stay away from the world. In fact, in John 17, 15, in his high priestly prayer to the Father, he prays, I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. Now that's a good thing for us to hear there, because the will of God is not for us to all move out into the woods together and 
start some commune and, and all we do is uh, just ever engage one another and, and we never talk to an unbeliever. That's not God's will for his church. God's will for the church is that we penetrate into every little nook and cranny of the kingdom of darkness with the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and gives light to all who are in the house. So verse 16 says, Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Listen, beloved, the Great Commission is still in the books. And the Lord has told us we are to go into all the world, make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe all that Jesus has commanded us. But sadly, the method has instead become, in order for us to reach the world, we have become like the world. That's become the common perspective of the church's evangelism. That basically, for the church to reach the world, we need to do whatever it takes to reach them. That's essentially that you give the people what they want. Uh, so instead of preaching the full counsel of God's word, we give them a 15-minute TED Talk. Instead, we talk the way they talk. We act the way they act. We like the things the world likes. And the more common ground we can find with the world, the more effectively we can build a bridge to them to give them the gospel. Along with all that, they say we need to adopt their cultural lifestyles, their fashion, their music, their entertainment as much as possible. We need to also accept their cultural expect expectations for things like comfort, self-fulfillment, acceptance, tolerance is big, right? Tolerance, affirmation, you can fill out the rest of the list. And then we also need to remove all the obstacles that offend them. Things like hell, we can no longer preach about hell and sin and righteousness and judgment things that might actually convict a person of their sin. And then we need to embrace as many social ideologies as possible. We need to be open to feminism and same-sex marriage and, and sex outside of marriage and social justice and critical race theory because these are all the things the world is all caught up in. And unless you want to come across as judgmental, we need to jump on the advocacy bandwagon. We need to essentially accept as many worldly norms that we can possibly accept. But in reality, that is the exact opposite of what the Bible says. According to God's word, we have to first leave the world in order to reach the world. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 4, Paul affirmed that Christ gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age. We read back in Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, that God delivered us from the domain of darkness, remember that? And transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. See, once you've been delivered from this domain of darkness, you now live in Christ's kingdom, which is not of this world. In fact, in John chapter 18, 36, Jesus said to Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting. In other words, if my kingdom was of this world, we would fight the way the rest of the world fights. We would be a part of the melee of human um, philosophies and ideologies 
and protests all colliding together in the world. But Jesus says, my kingdom's not of this realm. And this is why Jesus never tried to start a revolution or, or some political movement or fought for some economic reform. He never tried to fix the world with a worldly philosophy. He knew the only way to change the, wor the world was through the power of the gospel. For example, in 1 John chapter 5, 4 through 5, it tells us that we have overcome the world through faith in Christ. He writes, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is the one who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? So although we exist in this world, physically, spiritually, we are already citizens of heaven. In Ephesians 2, verse 6, Paul says, God has raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. The moment you receive Christ, verse 5, he made you alive together with him. And at that moment, you were instantly raised up and given a place in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Spiritually speaking, you've ascended. You entered, as it were, into the Holy of Holies with Christ. The, the veil was torn, and you are now spiritually seated with Christ in the heavenly places. Did you know that? In Philippians chapter 3, we find the same thought in verse 20, where he says, For our citizenship is in heaven from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now you might be wondering, what is he talking about? We're not in heaven yet. I'm still sitting right here in the world. And yeah, you're right, but though our bodies aren't there, this is to be the occupation of our minds. We are to be seeking the things above where Christ is, not on the things that are on the earth. We want to be looking at the world and the things happening in the world only in relation to Christ and his kingdom. So in other words, if you were to print out a, a pie graph on, on what were the thoughts of, of Nick throughout the week, first and foremost, the biggest part of that pie should be Christ-related. If I have been chosen out of the world, if my citizenship is in heaven, if I am seated with Christ in the heavenly places, and I have been raised up with Christ, then my priority should be keep seeking the things above, not the things on the earth. When you put your faith in Christ, you were transformed. You ascended. You transcended the world. Your conversion, your manner of life is now in the heavenlies where Christ is. So every one of us as believers has entered into a genuine spiritual relationship with the God of the universe. We'll never reach the world until we leave the world. And the Lord knew that. So the moment you were saved, God granted to you the capacity to experience intimate communion with him in his presence. Spiritually is then a heavenly kind of life. That means, as Paul says here in Colossians 3, it is a life that focuses on the things above, not on earthly things is a, a preoccupation with the divine. And we could talk about all kinds of scriptures relative to this. It is 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, if you want one, for example. It is when you, with unveiled face, 
behold the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another by the Holy Spirit. Now this little section at the start of Colossians chapter 3 is really a call to true spirituality. And true spirituality is setting your affections on things above, not on the things of the earth. It is getting divorced from the world system so that you can step away from the world and you can see the world for what it is so then you can reach the world from the vantage point of divine enabling. Now, as we turn to Colossians 3, Paul's just closed out the doctrinal section of the book of Colossians. Chapter 1 and chapter 2 were filled with incredible theological truths about who Christ is and, and what Christ has done. And that section has ended at the end of chapter 2. Those were two great chapters that we studied in detail. But now with the doctrinal section over chapters 3 and 4, Paul's going to give us some real practical implications of all that. And by the way, doctrine always has practical implications. And he begins with five features that will help us unfold the power of heavenly living here on earth. And you'll see these on the back of your bulletin notes. We begin with number one, the reminder. The reminder. Now, notice just the first line there in verse one. We're going to do it in parts. Paul says, therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ. And we'll stop right there for a moment. Now, the first thing I want to point out to you is that word if. It probably should be translated since, as the um, NAIV does. Since you have been raised up with Christ. It's not in doubt, because it's already an accomplished fact. Since you have been raised up with Christ. Believers spiritually are entered into Christ's death, resurrection, at the moment of their salvation. Romans chapter 6, 3 through 4 says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. Now, the baptism in Romans 6 is not in water, but in immersing into Christ's death. Baptism, sometimes we just hear baptism, we think, oh, dunking with water. Baptism means immersion under the water. So this is referring to our immersion into Christ's death. It's symbolized in the baptism as well. But, um, and this is picturing through our union with Christ, believers have also been buried with him and have risen with him in newness of life. Second Peter 1.4 says we have become partakers of the divine nature. Remember that? We possess divine and eternal life, which is not merely an endless existence, but a heavenly quality of life brought to us by the indwelling Lord Jesus Christ. This is incredible. Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. So when you came alive in Christ at the, at the moment of your salvation, your mind was literally open to understand what God's desires and what God wills for your life. So don't forget, you died with Christ and you've risen with Christ. Don't forget that. From the moment of your salvation, 
you entered into a new dimension of life, a new union with Christ. You've died and you've been raised with Christ. And that life that it's talking about, you're not living that plain old bios. Remember bios, all those different terms for life? There's three of them. Bios for like where we get biology. You're not just living a biological life. Uh, you're also not living suke, a, a plain psychological kind of life. Rather, you got zoe, eternal life. Life more abundantly, Christ said, is a dimension of life that only God can give. And so, the moment you became a believer, Paul wants you and the Colossian believers to remember that you have been risen with Christ. You live his resurrected life. You are no longer living the old life you lived before your salvation, but possess the eternal life of Christ and have been raised to live a life that glorifies your Father in heaven. And that's why, as I read to you earlier in Philippians 3.20, the Apostle Paul can say, but our citizenship is in heaven. We're there. We live there. And listen, that's where we live. And if your mind is stuck in the things of the world, then you're not living up to your position in Christ, all right? This is who you are positionally in the kingdom of God. And so what are you doing down here so much? I better become what I am. I better live into my position, my position that's in Christ. In Christ, we have eternal life. Having eternal life takes us up into the presence of God, and we live his kind of life. We breathe his kind of air. To have Christ is to have everything. What are you doing down here? And the conscious preoccupation of a believer should be to be with Christ. That's what it means when it says, seek the things that are above. Get your preoccupation on Christ. He needs to be the center of your life. You'd be surprised if you just get yourself up there where you belong. You won't be so bogged down with the rest of the stuff that's going on down here. There are so many Christians who get so overwhelmed by everything going on down here. And I say to them all the time, and how much time are you spending up there? How much are you spending with Christ? And the answer is almost always the same. Honestly, not a lot. Remember what Colossians 2 verse 10 said? said, in Christ you have been made complete. Complete, filled. Why are we still running around the world after Christ has called us out of the world? Haven't you tasted and seen that the Lord is good? Don't you know Jesus is enough, that, that Christ is sufficient, that in Christ you have been made complete? I've lived just enough in the heavenlies to know how true this is, and so you will, so will you when you get up there and, and enjoy it for a little while. You see, the whole issue is you need to live a Christ-conscious life. And the basis of all of it is this simple reminder, hey, you have been raised up with Christ. I mean, the old life is gone, the new has come. And as Ephesians 2, 6 says, he has raised us up with them and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So, if you've been raised up with Christ, why don't you try spending some time up there and remember where your position is and stop, start operating towards that reality. So, beloved, your reminder is don't forget who you are in Christ. Don't forget who you are in Christ.
There's a second thing here that Paul wants us to see. Not only does Paul give us a reminder, but he also shows us, number two, the responsibility. The responsibility. Notice verse one again. Paul says, therefore, if, or it could be translated, since you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above. And we'll stop right there. Have you ever thought, I just want to do what the will of God is for my life? Have you ever thought that before? I've heard that quite a bit. Well, beloved, here's one of many places where you can see what the will of God is for your life. He says, keep seeking the things above. This is an imperative command. This is not a, a casual suggestion. If you feel like it, seek Christ above. This is keep seeking. It's in the present tense, and it indicates a continuous action. No, keep seeking. No, keep on seeking. Don't stop doing this. This is going to be an ongoing priority for you. This is going to be an enduring preoccupation of your heart's desire. This is what should be driving you when you wake up in the morning. Now, what are the things above that we should be seeking? Well, what's above? Well, we should be seeking after the glory of God, the holiness of God, the love of God, communion with God, worship with God, serving God. We're to be preoccupied with all the eternal realities that are ours in Christ. He's given us the great commandment and the great commission. We are to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. We are to go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe all that Christ has commanded. Those should be the center of our gravity around which our lives orbit. Loving the Lord our God with all of our heart and making disciples. Loving our neighbor. It shouldn't be something that's like out there on the edges that we do every now and then. We need to become in practice who we are in position in Christ. We need to become in practice who we are in position in Christ. Beloved, whose citizenship is in heaven? Yours, if you are in Christ. Don't seek after the pleasures of this world. Enjoy what God has given you. Don't be consumed with all the needs of this world. God has promised to supply everything you need. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 30, Do not worry then, saying, What will we eat? Or what will we drink? Or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. There's the priority. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and he'll take care of the rest. In other words, keep seeking after him. Keep seeking after his will. Keep seeking after his authority in your life and tell others about how great it is to be in the kingdom of God and to be clothed with the righteousness of Christ. Beloved, live now as lights in the world as we should be glowing with heaven's glory. I like what Charles Spurgeon had to say about this verse. He said, quote, Oh, seek to know on earth the peace of heaven, the rest of heaven, the victory of heaven, the service of heaven, the holiness of heaven. 
You may have foretastes of all of these. Seek after them. Seek, in a word, is to be preparing for the heaven which Christ is preparing for you. You are soon to dwell, you are soon to dwell above. Robe yourselves for this great festival. Your treasure is above. Let your hearts be with it. All that you are to possess in eternity is above where Christ is. Rise then and enjoy it. Let hope anticipate the joys which are reserved. And let, us, and let us begin our heaven here below. If ye then be risen with Christ, live according to your risen nature, for your life is hid with Christ in God. End quote. So this is our responsibility. We're to keep seeking the things above. In verse 2, uh, Paul gives us instruction on how to seek the things above. He says, set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. Set your minds on is all one word in the Greek. It's the word phroneo, which means to think or to have understanding. And once again, the present tense indicates a, a continuous action. I like how the uh, English theologian J.B. Lightfoot paraphrases Paul's thoughts here. He says, you must not only seek heaven, you must also think heaven. Uh, verses 1 and 2 offer parallel thoughts, but they're not synonymous concepts. And 1, to seek the things above, it really describes that orientation of our heart's affection. And then to set your minds on things above involves a reorientation of our will. To set our minds on things above describes a reshaping of our thought process and our overall perspective based on the eternal truths of our salvation in Christ. In other words, we no longer think the way the world thinks. As followers of Christ, we interpret the world around us according to what he says, not what the world says. Paul says in Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. The Bible is the only reliable source of knowledge about the character of God and that which is above. No one has seen heaven. I know a lot of people say they have, the Bible says no one has seen it. And in it, we learn the true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, of good repute, excellent, and praiseworthy things our minds are to dwell on. When we set our minds on the things above and not on the things of the earth, heavenly values will dominate your mind. They will produce godly behavior. Sin will be subdued. And humility and a sacrificial spirit and assurance will come as a result. So Paul carries us really to the, the heights of the heavenlies here. And he shows in our new life, what do we have? Number one, a reminder that you have already risen in Christ positionally. And then number two, a responsibility to keep seeking after the things of God above. Let me show you now our third thought. Number three is the resource. The resource. We skipped over it. It's at the end of verse one. Keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. The believer's resource is none other than the one in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, the risen 
glorified Christ. He's there, and he's seen in a sitting position. And there he waits in majesty and glory for us to enter into his presence. The right hand is a place of honor. It is a place of authority. It is a place of sovereign power. Beloved, this is the king that we are to seek. He is the lover of our souls who suffered and died in our place to purchase our redemption. This is the omnipotent sovereign of the entire universe, unrivaled in majesty and power. Behold him in all his splendor. Fix your gaze upon Christ. Cause your life to be lived to the praise of his glory. In your time of prayer, take flight and soar into the heavens. Humble yourself before the throne of God. Fall into the loving arms of him who gave himself for you and will come again to receive you to himself. This is where Christ is. Philippians 2 verse 9, a familiar verse, but one we should never grow weary of. Therefore, it says, God has also highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on the earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And again, think about it. If you are in Christ, you have been united with him in the likeness of his death, and you are now hidden in him, how could anything be more wonderful in your life than that? We keep seeking the things above because that's where Christ is. That's where Christ is. Well, that leads us now to point number four, where we see the reason. The reason. That's what it says there in verse three. As Paul reveals to us another amazing truth. He says, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. Here Paul stresses the reason that living, living in the heavenlies is to be the norm for believers. Believers have died to the world system. Their union is with Christ in his death and his resurrection. Paul says in Galatians 6.14, May it never be that I would boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. You're now dead to the world. For as verse 3 says, you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. This uh, past tense, you have died, indicates that your death took place at your salvation. And we know that from texts like 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. In what sense has the believer died? In the sense that the penalty for sin has been paid. We say it almost every week. The wages of sin is death. So we must also die. And by our union with Christ, we die to require death in him. Thus the penalty is paid by Christ and sin can Never claim us again. And don't you just love the thought your life is hidden with Christ and God? People have talked a lot about what that might mean. And there's a couple of good thoughts I came up with. I'll just share uh, two of them with you. Uh, number one, it means uh, 
I'm all wrapped up with God and Jesus Christ. My sister will remember this one. Let me see if I can remember it. Uh, I'm all wrapped up. I'm all tied up. I'm all tangled up in Jesus. Is that how it went? <laughs> wrapped up, tied up, tangled up in God. My life is entirely tangled up with their life. That's a great thought. I mean, 1 Corinthians 6.17 says the one who joins himself to the Lord is what? One spirit with him. That, mean God, that means that God doesn't see me apart from him and God doesn't see himself apart from me. Isn't that staggering? Same is true if you're in Christ. So that's one way my life is hidden with Christ. And there's another thought that came to me. It's this. If my life is hidden in Christ, in God... That sounds to me like everlasting security. If my life is hidden with Christ and God, then I'm secure. Jesus said in John 10, 21, John 10, 28, no one will snatch them out of my hand. He was talking about his sheep. So we are secure in Christ. And finally, we come to the final point, point number five, and just to prove all this there's the revelation the revelation and this is god's bow on this text notice what it says in verse four this is a great verse when christ who is our life is revealed then you also will be revealed with him in glory isn't that good the world may not recognize us now they may not know that we live in the heavenlies but someday they're going to know. Because when he appears at his second coming, you can read about it in Revelation 19, we will appear with him also. He comes back with, remember, a white robe riding on what? A white horse. And with all those other white horses, there will be an army coming out of heaven. And that's us, folks, along with the angels. The verdict of eternity, I'm afraid, is going to reverse the verdict at that time. And I love this phrase, when Christ who is our life. Isn't that good? When Christ who is our life. I've often said that Christ doesn't just give life. He is life. He is life. He gives himself. When he appears at his second coming... We will manifest with him in glory. Again, Lightfoot says, quote, The veil which now shrouds your higher life from others, and even partly from yourselves, will then be withdrawn. The world which persecutes, despises, ignores, now will be blinded with the dazzling glory of his return. I live by faith, soon I'll live by sight. I ask you today, what is at the center of your life? If the center of your life is to set your minds on things above where Christ is, you're going to be living in the heavenlies. And from that vantage point, you have a set of values and truths in the power of God to come be a light in this dark world. You can't see how dark this world is while you live in it. You must leave it in order to see. And then you can come and go reach out to the people in Christ. And you can touch the lives in a way that really matters. And it all boils down to the fact of who is at the center of your life. 
Who is the priority of your life? They think the world is at the center of their universe, but it isn't. It's the Son, the Son of God, who died and gave himself for me. Christ is everything, and in him you have been made complete. I hope he's the center of your life. I hope you're living in the heavenlies, for it's the only vantage point from which you can truly touch the world. If you need prayers this morning, I want to invite you to please come forward. At this time, I want to invite you to stand as we sing the song of invitation, Our Living Hope. Thank you.